for 200 later. So that's okay. Maybe I should give you all the deer in the headlights look like. Oh, right, right, just profusely sweating. No, not at all. And so this was the first sermon. This was the launch of the church. This is the solid ground that I stand upon. And this is ultimately the reason for everything. And that's the gospel. And that's the first word in our name. It gets unfortunately overused, but it's also vitally important. And so as we approach this text today, I just want you to know two little things. First is that this is who we are. This is still the reason that I started with this is the gospel. It is of first importance. And then also, very similarly, it's about the resurrection. And we started and gave new life for our first service. And so you think about that. We've been raised as a local church body by the Lord Jesus. And it's all because of his gospel and his work in our lives individually, but then as we come together corporately as well. So, my Lord Jesus, I can't even find words to begin to thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. There's been so many twists and turns and challenges throughout uh, these last few years since we launched originally on July 14th of 2019. So much has changed in the world, but so much has changed in our own individual lives as well. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work that you've done. I thank you for the work you continue to do within us until you call us home to be with you. And so, Lord Jesus, as your people, remind us of the truth today. And as we approach your word, continue to fill our hearts and our minds with your will and your goodness for our lives, that we may go out into this world, share that with others. So we love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we will forever pray until we're with you in heaven face to face. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. And I forgive me. I'll just read it off the sheet. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Amen. 
That's the word of the Lord. Just to give you a little bit of background, because, well, it is chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. There's 14 chapters of excitement that happens beforehand. But uh, the Corinthians, you know, there's a lot, I think, that we could say that they're very much like us today. And I say that because they have a ton of influences attacking them on a daily basis in Corinth. They had a plurality of different gods because, well, as, as the Greeks go and as all the trade routes kind of went there, there were all kinds of different beliefs coming in, all kinds of different statues that they worshipped, all kinds of idols, if you will, that they worshipped. And so they have issues. And this whole letter is, you know, aside from he's actually pleasant in the beginning, but then it's like, okay, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. And the list kind of goes on and on. If we were to, you know, sum up the Ten Commandments, if you will, like they're breaking all of them. But we all do ourselves as well, just the same. And it kind of stems from the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The reason you do a lot, like you covet, is because you want what you don't have. And so we idolize things, and then we chase after those. And as we idolize and chase after those idols, we make poor decisions in that process. We make selfish decisions. We hurt ourselves, we hurt other people. And the Corinthians were doing that very same thing. And, unfortunately, in this section, they were denying the resurrection. The resurrection is key to our faith. It is key to understanding. Uh, I say that the gospel is of first importance, but maybe some of us don't necessarily understand why it's of first importance. But we'll have some answers here throughout the scriptures that help to explain why it is of first importance. But I think probably the biggest and easiest problem to explain is that God is holy and set apart But as human beings, we're constantly trying to bring God down to fit him in the box of what we know and what we understand as human beings. And Corinth was the very same way. The way they were treating people didn't make a lot of sense. The way they were treating each other, the way they were holding the ordinances of communion or when they were sharing meals together. There was a lot of partiality amongst the brethren. And there's no partiality, because at the foot of the cross, we're all created equal, men and women alike. None of us have earned it. None of us have deserved it. Now God's given us different talents, different gifts and abilities. I can appreciate that, but that doesn't mean that my gifts and abilities make me superior over you by any means. And in fact, as Paul says many different times and in many different ways, count others more significant than yourselves, as Christ did as his example did, as he showed us that. And so uh, for this, our 200th service, I'm going to give you a little bit of understanding, especially as a, a pastor to the sheep, if you will, that my goal and my aim is always relatively the same thing. It's different throughout the texts, and of course the theology is a little different, the application is a little different, but the overarching purpose and the meaning is to remind you of truth. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. And as a pastor, I remind you of the truth in three different ways. And now you're going to go back and you're going to listen to old sermons and you're going to check me out and you're going to make sure that I actually do these things. But the very first thing that every sermon is going to contain is the holiness of God. 
how he is set apart. You need to understand God is outside of earth, but he's the creator of earth. You cannot bring him down to fit him into a box here. He exists outside of that time and that place. And as the creator of everything, he understands everything. And he knows how everything works. So, in his holiness, in his set-apartness, we need the antithesis to understand where we're at a little bit. And so, the second part of the three parts that exist in every single sermon is the brokenness of man. And so, we can call that sin, right? The missing the mark that we do on a regular basis. As we're busy chasing idols and as we're busy glorifying ourselves rather than glorifying our Father and giving every human being the respect that they deserve being created in His image. So, the brokenness of man. Then the third part is the plan of salvation. Or maybe it's the plan of redemption. Or maybe to understand it as the plan of reconciliation. But make no mistake, it's God's plan and what he's done in this world and in this life to reconcile us back to him, to restore us to that right and real relationship, to redeem us in redemption, which means to be bought back from the slavery of sin, which opens up the avenues for us to even understand righteousness, what is the right way, as well as to understand our Father a little more. And then, of course, the plan of salvation in its simplest form, that this isn't it. This life isn't it. Hopefully none of you listen to Joel Osteen, but if you want to live your best life now, you're sunk before you began. Don't think about it that way. There's a much, much larger picture to understand for life and death. And so God has that. Those are the three aspects. Check it out. Holiness of God, brokenness of man, and then the plan of salvation, redemption, or reconciliation to restore us back to where we belong. But there's also this nuance, and we talked a little bit about this this week, the already but not yet that we exist in. I'm already saved, but it's not yet fully realized. I am justified before the Father, but until that day, the official full justification doesn't happen until I pass away. My sanctification, I have the blessing of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise and the guarantee of salvation. And I have that within me, and he's changing me now, but I'm not fully transformed by grace until I'm out of this sin suit that I live in. This suit of lies and deceit where I tell myself things all the time in an effort to justify my behavior that's poor. It's awful and it's hard. Also to remind you of the truth of who you are and why you're here. All of us, when you ask someone what the meaning of life is or their meaning of life, everyone's going to have a different answer to that. That's pretty, pretty obvious. Those in Christ, I would like to think, have a much more streamlined, unified answer as to why you're here. But I'm not going to answer that for you yet. I just want you to think about it. And in reminding you of the truth, and especially talking about the holiness of God, let's talk about the gospel. Because that is a plan that is set apart. 
You want to know what makes Jesus so different than religion? Jesus is the one who comes down the mountain. Jesus is the one who acts on our behalf. Religion says you do this, you do that. You climb up that spiritual ladder in an effort to understand God. And maybe, maybe when you get there, he'll let you in. Whatever that is, or whatever it is you're looking for at that moment in time. And so the gospel is a holy plan. And when you look at it and you think about it from a scriptural standpoint, it starts in Genesis chapter 3, after the creation of every human being and everything, and then it ends in Revelation 21. This entire Bible speaks of the gospel and the plan. The entire Old Testament speaks of the need of a Messiah. And then the New Testament speaks of the Son of God as that revealed Messiah. So everything truly revolves around Jesus in this. So we talk about the holiness of man in this in the gospel. Or not the holiness of man, holiness of God. Talk about the brokenness of man. And we're talking about what you see in this section too. Unless you believed in vain, without purpose, without meaning, in futility in and of itself. And so there's a lot to be said in this. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you as if there was an option or an opportunity for you to believe in vain. But here's the thing, especially coming from the Jewish culture, they saw a lot of religion. They didn't understand that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And so I can't really fault them in this as well. For 35 years myself, I lived in darkness until God called me into his marvelous light and called me to a calling that I went kicking and screaming to. But here we are, 200 services later. I couldn't even believe that we had our first service. There were so many things along the way in the path in church planning, and I'm like, this is never going to take off. It's never, ever going to take off. But God had different plans. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord for his faithfulness in all of this. But in my unbelief, or my belief in vain, I can't tell you how many times that happened either. Because <laughs> it happened a lot. Because I wasn't even sure myself. And so my inherent human nature in sin is to not believe. But my blessed nature in Christ is to believe and to trust. And my unbelief and my belief are at war within me on a daily basis. Oh, the brokenness of man. How, how I long to be with Jesus, to not have these issues, these stigmas come up in my life every single day. And then lastly, the plan of salvation. And of course, the redemption and the reconciliation. I mean, that's what the gospel is, and first and foremost, all about. And so we remind you of the truth. Remind you that the gospel is of first importance because this is about your life. It is who you are and why you're here. There's all the other answers end up in death. All the other answers end up in frustration. All the other answers end up in futility. All the other answers leave people to be hopeless. And that's the last thing this world needs is more hopelessness. It needs more hope. But people don't see Christ as that true hope for their lives. But you know, 
You've tasted and seen that the Lord's good. So I remind you of that truth again this week and next week and last week I did it. And sometimes it's easier than other times, especially as we're going through Esther where it doesn't even mention God. And it's like, okay, well, how does this, you know, glorify God? But every week we continue to remind you of this truth. And may it be a breath of fresh air for you too. Like, oh yeah, okay. What's going on and what happened yesterday isn't as big a deal as what I thought it was. Because in the big picture and the grand scheme of life, that's just one brief little moment, one little season in the scope. And let's not forget that our God's eternal and that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day with our Lord. That's something amazing to behold as well. So we remind you of the truth. And what did we remind you of the truth in? The second point, that Christ died for our sins and was raised. In this passage and in this verse, these three through eight, in verse three and four, you see Paul pointing to the scriptures in accordance with the scriptures. This is the word of God that you all are holding in your hands. Even if it's just the back of the bulletin and you're seeing it, it is the translated word of God in the English Standard Version. And the scriptures are, again, that prophetic fulfillment. That's why Paul points back to them. This is our first and foremost authority, is the word of God. Next, in verse 5 through 8, you see Paul continually talking about eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. Do we still have that luxury today of eyewitness testimony? We do and we don't. We do and we don't. I know my life has been changed by Jesus, right? I might not have seen Jesus in the flesh, but by the blessing of the Holy Spirit within me, I came to know that Jesus is indeed the way, Jesus is indeed the truth, and Jesus is indeed the life. And that based on what I understand about religion, Jesus fulfilled all those religious requirements on my behalf. So that I am left with, by grace, which is God's unmerited favor, through faith, which is trust, belief, that I am saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we're saved. So it's those. So we've got the scriptures, and then we've got eyewitness testimony. Praise the Lord, we still have this today. The unfortunate thing is the eyewitness testimony. There's a lot of people who wear that Christian badge, if you will, uh, and it doesn't always work out as it's supposed to be. There's a lot of naysaying, a lot of hate being spread in the name of Christ, which, if you've read Scripture, I don't know where this hate comes from, because Jesus sure didn't have this hate. So it makes one wonder, how bent is the human being, and are they really a Christian, meaning a follower and disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, or are they using that for some type of gain, some type of manipulation of the people, some type of way to advance themselves in front of others? But in an effort to remind you of the truth, as always, Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 
There is a lot to say about this point, and this is probably the biggest point, and I'm very honored to have gone through Hebrews in such detail because most people missed this, the great high priest and the necessary requirements of religion. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, unless you have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So you think about the most quote-unquote religious person that you know in this world. You need to be better than them. That seems very hard. And then when I think about the most religious person in the world, I'm like, hmm, I don't even know who that is. Maybe someone would say the Pope, but maybe not at the same time. We're not Catholic. There's different beliefs. You know, I gave out the Reformation Study Bible, which was the breaking from Catholicism and their manipulation of people and their power and state and everything else. But dying for our sins, I'm just going to get to the point, it's atonement. It's atonement. How, and this is probably one of the biggest farces in religion, is that if I do something bad, and I knowingly do something bad, if I just do this one thing that's good, well, then that'll outweigh the bad, and then I'm equal again. But Scripture doesn't describe sin like that in the slightest. And in fact, the whole Old Testament with God and his nation of Israel, very different than the church, but still same God. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But as he worked with the nation of Israel, they constantly stumbled. They constantly fell. They constantly had issues. And they were constantly locking themselves in cages for seven days while they were unclean in an effort to make themselves clean again. And so religion, 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 religion. Then there's a high priest that were, came from the different lines, lines of Benjamin. Uh, and those high priests, once a year on Yom Kippur, Kippur, I say Kippur, <laughs> Kippur, Ugh, just can't not do that. That's the Day of Atonement, if you know, in the Jewish holiday. So that's the one day that the sins are quote-unquote kind of paid for, but that high priest once a year had to go into the room with the Ark of the Covenant, had to do a few things, had to sacrifice, and then that blood atonement for that sacrifice paid for the sins of the nation. Now, as they went home later that night and they started cursing, and they started, they had to wait another whole year until your sins got paid. Like... It, again, I joke about it, but at the very same time, that's the reality. Every day, like Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate someone, it's the same as committing murder. If you think about a woman or a man improperly, that's the same as committing adultery with them. And so my thoughts wander on a regular basis. Praise the Lord, my hands and feet don't match the wicked thoughts that I have sometimes especially those wicked thoughts a few years ago of, you know, taking people down. But <clears throat> the atonement is important for us to remember because Jesus is that once-for-all sacrifice for sin. He is our great high priest. He makes intercessions for us on a daily basis. He pleads for us. He loves us. He cares for us. He is amazing. <laughs> he is exactly what religion ordered 
in an effort to save sinners from themselves. Because he's the great high priest who could do what we can't do. And none of you are high priests to be able to atone for your own sins. So we need a great high priest in this. And that's what happened. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. As he needed to do. And he willingly did for us. To restore us. To reconcile us to redeem us from the slavery of sin that we lived under. And then he goes in to the next part. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. And so we talk about the resurrection. You've got atonement and you've got resurrection in this. And the resurrection is vitally important because if you look down in the passage, if you go down to verse 19 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll see one of the most prolific statements that Paul has said. At least it's stuck with me that way. Because if I, have a, as a Christian, have my hope in this life only, then I, of all people, should most be pitied. My hope does not rest in this world and in this life. Everywhere I look around me, and this is one of the reasons why the Gospel is of first importance, everywhere, and let me stress this, Everywhere I look, I look at all your smiling faces. I look at the world outside. I look at nature. I look at weather. I look at everywhere I look, brokenness exists. How could you want to live your best life now when everything's jacked up? I don't understand the prosperity gospel. I never will understand the prosperity gospel. And I will always promote Jesus to others. Because he is the only way that I, as a human being and as a sinner, have hope. My earthly hope is nothing more than wishes. My biblical hope is confident assurance. And in that confident assurance, I can stand on Christ, the solid rock. And I do on a pretty darn regular basis. Because as the waves come, remember, it's not in this world like, maybe you'll face tribulation. It's when and if. And not even so much if, it's when. So, in this world, you will face tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he has. And praise the Lord for that. And so, the atonement's amazing. The resurrection's amazing. And yet, the Corinthians were denying it at this time. So, I repeat, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And here, as much as I said who you are and why are you here in the first sentence, or in the first point, in this point, what is wrong with the world and what can be done to fix it? And that's the answer in this world. The atonement of our Lord and Savior, our great high priest, the mediator between God and men, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that fixed it. And what's wrong with the world? Well, us. Forever so honest, it's us. Our own individual desires, our own wants, our needs, and then the uncontrolled nature of the sinner bent on his own self. And so that brings us to the last point, 
and the grace-filled point. <laughs> this is all by the grace of God. And this makes one wonder too, right? For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Many of us have been through very difficult challenges in our lives. Many of us still probably have a few more of those coming. Uh, certainly, I don't hope so. A wish, earthly-wise. But in Christ, he told me that I will face tribulation in this world. So I should brace for it. I should definitely stand on that solid rock that is Christ, so that I know who I am, so that I know why I'm here, so that I understand what is wrong with this world, and then I understand what can be done to fix it. But what's our mission and purpose in life? And then how do we fulfill that? And this is where hopefully we can get on the same page under Christ. But as the world stands and as the world sits, there's 8 billion people, and some of them maybe are in Christ and have the same mission, but the vast majority don't. And they've all made their meaning of life whatever it is they want to make their meaning of life. But as we know from Scripture, go, therefore, or maybe I'll go back a verse as I think about it. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, you've made your life about many things. Understand, this is why you're here. It is that great commission. That's it. If you want to make it about your family, by all means, I'll be honest, that's a ministry sphere. That's an opportunity to share the gospel within your own family. Make it about friends. Uh, again, none of these are bad things unless they become the thing. Okay? Because when it becomes the thing, then it, you put it on a pedestal. You've put it above God, and you've made it your mission and your life. For some, it's about getting married. For others, it's about children. For some, it's about power. Some, it's about wealth, success, whatever that means to the individual. Because if you asked everybody, they'd come up with a different answer for what success is. Even in the church, the word success is different. But I guess I should touch on this too for you. Godly success is not earthly success. Godly success to me is seeing God's faithfulness for 200 different services. Godly success for me is seeing new life in Christ. Godly success for me is hearing that you're all continuing to grow in your faith and your understanding. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about money. I don't care about these earthly measures of success. Even the own denomination that we're in constantly want to know these types of numbers which is baffling to me because it doesn't ultimately matter. 
like how much money we have. How much, they're necessary. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the thing. And so the mission and the purpose and how we fulfill it, I'll just explain. It's to go. So we, a lot of people will say, well, the verb is make. But I'll fight back and bite back a little on that because I'll happily be there. I'll happily teach. I'll happily preach. Happily be part of that. But whether it's me watering, me planting, God's the one who causes the growth. God's the one who makes the disciples. I'm happy to be used in that, but as far as I need to be concerned, I need to go. I just need to go. And so ministry, as it is, some of us are called to professional ministry. But we're all ministers. We're all ministers for the work of ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers for the building up of the saints for the work of ministry. You're all in ministry. Anytime you're with someone is an opportunity for ministry. Your mission as to why you're here is to share that gospel and that good news. Don't lose sight of that. The work you do is an opportunity to share with others. When you go to the grocery store, that's an opportunity to share with others. When you go fill up the gas tank at the pump, that's an opportunity to share with others. When you do anything, that there's more than one person, it's an opportunity for ministry. It's why you're here. It's why we're all here. And so, make no mistake though, in this, Paul understands it's not him. He's willing which is an important aspect of our salvation. And, and maybe this uh, helps understand a little bit more, Trevor, about what we were talking about earlier. There has to be a willingness within the people. Unfortunately, there's not that willingness within some who wear that badge of Christian. But that willingness is what God is going to use for his glory and ultimately your good. But make no mistake, you can't lose your salvation. But if it wasn't by the grace of God, it wouldn't happen. It's God's unmerited favor, which is what grace means. Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He freely gave it. And he freely gave it to his people, the people for his own possession. And he continues to do it, which is even more amazing because Really, when you think about it, if God did nothing else for me but save me, like that would be enough, right? But he continues to show his love, his care, his mercy on me. And you, throughout the days, the weeks, the months. And this is all by the grace of God. The salvation, the reminding you of the truth, the holiness of God, understanding the brokenness of man, seeing that plan of salvation, and then understanding what Jesus did, how he died for our sins, and then how he was raised on the third day. And this is why I started on this. First and foremost, because the gospel is of first importance, but also Christ raised us to be a blessing to the community of Genoa. And here we are 200 services later, way stronger and better off than we were all that time ago. But was it easy? No. <laughs> if anybody ever thought it was easy, I hope not, because it's not. Life is actually pretty ridiculously hard because whether it's, you know, 
coming from me, the sin within me, or it's the temptation coming from outside me, I'm getting attacked all the time. A few weeks ago for Easter, I talked about how we're in war on a regular basis. Physically, my body's at war with itself. I've got an illness that I fight on a daily basis. Sometimes it wins. And it sucks. Be honest with you. It's terrible. Emotionally, I'm constantly at war with myself as well. Constantly thinking. Much like that Sermon on the Mount. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. I tell you what, man. I wish everyone drove like I drove. Because I would have a lot less emotional baggage with me all the time. Because, man, I don't know how I did it for as many years as I did it because I have zero dollars and zero cents worth of patience anymore. I cannot drive in Chicagoland any close to what I used to. I used to drive 200 miles a day in Chicagoland. And now, like driving into Chicago for a big, glorious wedding, oh, I was a jerk. Oh, was I ever a jerk. Oh, I don't know how Jennifer stayed with me. <laughs> but she did. And praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and then spiritually, too, there's always war. Always war. I'm constantly, you know, being tempted, whether it's the sin within me, seeking to glorify myself, or I'm being tempted from the outside. There's always a battle. There's always a clash. So physically, I'm in a clash. Emotionally, I'm in a clash. Spiritually, I'm in a clash. I'm like, dang. And so this, by the grace of God, I'm looking forward to not being at war. Really am. But until that time, I'm, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's do it, Jesus. Because I trust him. And especially seeing how far we've come and being on this crazy journey as it is in the first place. Like, psh, God's got this. I know it. And I can rest in that. Yeah, I'm going to forget sometimes. Yeah, I'm still going to try to do things my own way. But, you know, in the end, I can trust God with this and all of that. And so, why is the gospel of first importance? It's important because you need to understand the holiness of God. You need to understand the brokenness of man. You need to see God's plan of redemption. You need to see Jesus as the way, as the truth, and as the life. You need to see him as the great high priest. You need to see him as the mediator between God and man because you can't do it. There's no one that can do it for themselves. And if someone does, well, you know they're full of it because you know the truth, right? Why also is the gospel of first importance? It answers the four philosophical questions that we all desire to know and to understand ourselves. Who am I? Why am I here? What is wrong with this world? And what can be done to fix it? Those four questions, every human being has burning within them. Jesus is the only one who gave me an answer. Because all the rest is up to me. Then you know what happens when things get up to me. Nothing good. Let's just leave it at that. Just leave it at that. So why also is the gospel of first importance? It shows God's forgiveness. Religion is not forgiving. Religion is damning and condemning. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus came down the mountain. Jesus did for me what I can't do for myself. That's forgiveness. 
He forgave of sin. As it's written, perfect love casts out fear. It's a very abused text, but you have to know the context of that text for it to really hit home and for it to really make sense. All of us are scared to approach God because He is God. And then once we've come to face with our sin, we're like, oh, crud. <laughs> what do we do now? But in God's will and God's way, He forgives the sinner. He understands that when you're born spiritually dead, you don't know your left hand from your right. Most people don't. And in fact, that's how I've been able to forgive other people in my life. People I don't want to forgive, but people that I have to because as much as I'm not forgiving someone, the reality of it is I'm holding a grudge and I'm condemning them, which ultimately makes me drink the poison while pointing and wishing them dead. It's only hurting myself. God forgave me. I can forgive myself. And I'm my own worst judge and my own worst critic. And if I can forgive myself because God forgave me, then by all means, so be it. But much more than it shows his forgiveness, it shows his grace. It shows his unmerited favor towards the human being. It shows his mercy, his not giving us the punishment that we rightly deserve. It shows his love, his agape, his sacrificial but actionable love for the human being. It shows his peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, that as I'm living in a hostile world, physically at war, emotionally at war, physically at war, I can have this crazy thing called peace, which doesn't exist otherwise. The peace that surpasses all understanding. And why does it pass all understanding? because it guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Answering those fundamental questions. Who am I and why am I here? And then lastly, his plan. It shows God's plan for the wayward sinner. How you actually do have meaning and worth besides what the world says you have meaning and worth in bothers me so much that we're getting our identity and our meaning and worth out of other people. And then we let other people control our meaning and worth. <sighs> no. What God says, hold on to that. Stand on that solid rock yet again. Be reminded of this truth. And this is one of the reasons why the gospel is of first importance. Be reminded of who you are and why you're here. And certainly, God's plan and his purpose for you so it's not all for naught. It wasn't in vain, if you will. But maybe even more so why the gospel is of first importance. It gives us hope in a frustrating and hopeless world. That this life right now isn't it. We have all eternity with God. And 10,000 reasons forevermore. And there's probably even more than that. And so, the temporary affliction, or maybe I'll say it as Paul says it, I am sure that the sufferings of this present time will pale in comparison to the glory that will be revealed to us at the day of Christ. I'm confident in this. I stand confident in this. Even as much as this was the first sermon, it's very different. Theologically, it's the same, but I've grown 
so much over 200 services. They weren't all mine either, by any means. And in fact, as you know, I stepped away from the pulpit. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I stepped away for like three months. Couldn't handle it. Wanted to kill people. It's awful. Trauma. Trauma. It's terrible. So, praise the Lord in all of this. The gospel is of first importance. Jesus is of first importance. My life is important to me. Maybe not so much to you, but even more so, it's important to God. And as a human being, saved by God, and He brings you people in here, you're important to God too. Therefore, maybe you should be important to me in some regard. And maybe as the church, as Christ's family, we can rejoice in that. That we can go through these struggles together. We can go through this life together. And then we can, at the end of our lives, have a celebration of life. Tim Keller passed away this week. I don't know if you know that or not. He's a very famous theologian, written lots of books. In fact, I've had books of his on our shelves back there to give away. I guarantee you Tim Keller's not looking back right now and wishing he was here on earth. He's with Jesus, and he's happy about that. I can say that with confidence, listening to his sermons, listening to his books, listening you know, to the gospel as preached through Tim Keller. And I understand that, and I look forward to that too. I'm not going to do anything rash, I'm not going to do anything crazy, but when the Lord calls me home, man, that's going to be a celebration. And that's part of the gospel too, and that's that hope I'm talking about. Because, again, fighting all the time, being at war all the time, seeing all of these things, I hope... Every Sunday we're reminded of the truth. I hope you don't look at this as an obligation. I hope you look at it as an opportunity. I hope you enjoy it for what it is. And just praise the Lord, certainly, for who He is. So, dear Heavenly Father, I just certainly always thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the knowledge of the truth in, in our Lord Jesus. And I thank You for the sacrifices that You made to make a people for Your own possession. Your word and your gospel is certainly of first importance. And I certainly hope that we're reminded of this truth, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on growth group nights, but every day. And Lord Jesus, as we approach communion, I know you'll remind us of that truth again, that you died for our sins and were raised. And it took that great offering, that great blood sacrifice to reconcile us to make us your people, to offer us that forgiveness that we might have. So, Lord, this is certainly by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But, Lord Jesus, by the grace of God, we are who we are. And so we thank you for the sanctification in the Spirit. We certainly thank you for uh, all that you're doing in our lives, especially what we fail to see and fail to acknowledge so may you just continue to grow hearts of gratitude with us as you've changed our hearts of stone to a heart of flesh. And so we love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Oops.